Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Well, it's good to be here today. Thank you for coming out on this drizzly April, the last day of the month. You know, I like the drizzle because I like to garden, and I, I know April showers bring May flowers, okay? So we're happy about that. But those of you who ventured out today, I really appreciate that you're here. And this is actually my second favorite season. I like the spring, but it brings the summer. And that's really my favorite season. I don't know about you, but when my family, when we uh, we had kids that were younger, we would look forward to road trips. Summertime was the time to do that. And You know, sometimes it was short, like maybe two and a half hours down to Wildwood or maybe three hours. And then there were trips to Western Virginia. I had a sister who lived out there. And that was more like a nine-hour trip. And there, those of you with kids, what's the one question that comes up when you're on the road with your kids? That's right. Are we there yet? It could be, you know, you're two blocks away from your house and you're still going to hear that question because they're so excited. They want to get to where they want to go. But on a long trip, that can be one of the questions that they ask. Now, there's another question that kids ask incessantly when they're old, whether it's out of curiosity or whether it's out of protest. Can you guess what that word is? Who said it? Yes. Why? You know, why? I mean, why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Some deeper questions. Why did grandpa have to die? Why? Why? It's part of our innate nature to want to know the reasons behind why things happen. You know, and then later on when they get older, they'll ask maybe why not? You know, why can't I go out with these friends? Why can't I go see that movie or go to those particular places? You know, the questions are always there, right? How many of you find yourself asking why so many times? Well, the book that we're going to talk about today is about a man who asked that question. He was, it's actually named after him. His name is Job. And he asked that question, why? In the beginning of the book, It describes him. He's an upright man, a virtuous man, a man who loved God, who prayed for his children. So he was doing everything right. Of course, he was a man. He wasn't perfect. But it said in the Bible that he did nothing evil. Now, in this book, it gives us um, characters. You have Job. He's the main character. And then you have his three friends, right? But you also, like in the movies, there's different scenes that happen, right? Behind the scene, there's a scene in heaven. And the characters there is God, Satan, 
and the celestial beings. Okay? So we have Job, Job the righteous man. And we're going to dive into the book. Let's read it first in the very first chapter, verse 1. It said, In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God. He shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. He had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So he was a rich man. See, he had a tremendous amount of livestock. And back in those days, that's how wealth was measured. It wasn't measured by a bank account or your income through stocks or anything or your job, your position. So we see he was a rich man. And it also describes him as being totally happy. I mean, he had prosperity. He had piety. He loved God. He was worshiping God. But then the scene changes and it goes into the scene of heaven. Okay, and this is behind the scene. Job has no idea that this is happening. Okay, and here we're going to pick it up in the next verse, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on the earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And then Satan says, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Have you blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his his herds are spread throughout the land? Now, stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has, and surely he will curse you to your face. And then the Lord said to Satan, Very well, then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. See, Satan is accusing God of buying the loyalty of Job. And he really thinks that if he can uh, reverse all this blessing, that Job is going to curse God. That he won't be loyal to him. And God allows this. God allows it. He doesn't abandon Job, but he gives Satan permission to test him. Now, I want to ask you a few questions. What is the worst thing that ever happened to you in your life? Now, you're probably thinking in your mind and you're remembering certain things. You know, maybe it was 9-11. Maybe it was that telephone call you got with the lab results. Maybe it was the police coming to your doorstep telling you about your kids or your spouse. You all have that scenario in your mind, the worst day of your life. Maybe it was the day that you were, you went to work like every other day and all of a sudden you were met with security and they escorted you out and they said, today's your last day. That's happened. You know, young people, imagine, you know, there's not a lot of young people here, but, you know, imagine your bicycle's stolen, your brothers and sisters are fighting, and that day your parents sit you down and they say, kids, we're moving a 1,000 miles away 
and you're going to be away from all your friends. That's a bad day for that kid, right? Well, how about this? Now, I mentioned doctor's routine. The checkup revealed something that you need surgery for and that you have to schedule. Or maybe you had a house inspection and termite infestation is like destroying your home. That would be a bad day. Or, you know, your company's downsizing and you're next on the firing squad. And that day you start your car because it's a little chilly. You run in the house for something. You come out, your car isn't there. Somebody took it for a joyride. Of course, they find it a few blocks away totaled. Would you say that was a bad day? Bad day. Maybe things never got that bad for you. But maybe you're thinking, things have gotten a lot worse for me. There was great loss. There was sickness. There was disappointment. I was blindsided by some event in my life that I didn't see coming. And we asked that question that Job asks, why? But if you think you have had it bad or those scenarios were bad, look what happens to Job. We're going to pick it up in verse 13 of the same chapter one. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's home, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabine attacked them and made off with them. They put your servants to the sword and I'm the only one that escaped. We're talking about 500 and 1,000 of his livestock and all of his servants. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and they burned up the sheep and the servants. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. So we're talking about 7,000 sheep. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came. The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. And they put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. 3,000 camels. Invaluable. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them. And they're all dead. And I'm the only one to escape to tell you. What a day. He lost everything. His livestock, his wealth, his servants, his workers, his children. It was waves of bad reports. It was like he was gut punched, sucker punched. He didn't see any of this coming. His children, that was the worst. He he would have no son to carry on the name. And of course, Job was a man. He went through all the stages of grief. It says he tore his garment, and that symbolized his broken heart. He shaved his head, which was really a practice of mourning in the Old Testament at that time. But look what he did. He proved his virtuous character by what he said. It says he fell down on the ground. Verse 21, he said, naked, I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. 
May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Praise God. He blessed God instead of cursing him. He crushed Satan under his feet. Satan thought he would reject him. He would deny him. But he praised him in it instead. And you would think, okay, test is over. But, you know, Satan doesn't give up that easily. I mean, you remember Jesus, uh, Jesus was in the desert. And three times the desert kept, uh, the desert, the, the, Satan kept coming back to tempt him, to try him, to test him. And, and you can probably shake your head and say, yeah, he's done that to me. He doesn't give up. So here, he was relentless. Here's what Satan said. Strike him in his body. Yeah, he didn't deny you because of the things that he lost. But you strike him in his body, in his health, and he's going to deny you. And God allows this test. He said, I believe he'll pass this test too. And Satan is allowed to test him in this way. Oh, and what a horrible way. It says he got itchy, painful sores all over his body. I mean, they bred worms. They crossed it over. They broke open. They oozed. They smelled. His wife couldn't even stand to be around him. He scraped them with broken pieces of pottery. And you know, there were no cow mine lotion. There was no Tylenol or, or Benadryl or anything that would ease the suffering that he felt. And he became disfigured because later on when his three friends came to see him, they couldn't even recognize him. Now, I know this is true because my husband, one time, he went to the junkyard to get some pieces for he likes to work on cars. So he went and he got poisoned sumac in this junkyard because it was all weeds and everything. He didn't know. He, his skin looked like leather, puffy. It was horrible. And this is what he looked like. This is what Job looked like to his friends. They couldn't even recognize him. I mean, he had night terrors. The Bible said his bones burned with pain. Even the love of his life, his own wife told him, curse God and die. Just give up. Give up the fight. And I'm sure it says it didn't, you know, Job didn't curse God, but he did tell God, I cursed the day I was born. I just wish I was never born. I'm, I'm certain there was a lot of emotional pain. And we have to understand this. In this book, Job had no idea about what happened in the heavenly realms. He doesn't know why. He has no idea what is happening to him. And he reaches a low moment of emotional torment. And that's when his friends come. And the friends, it says they were dumbfounded for seven days. They sat in silence with him. They didn't even know what to say. And that was the best thing they ever did. You know, sometimes, you know, we don't know what to do when our friends are suffering. You know, the best thing you could do is just be there for them, to just be present. But his friends, instead of encouraging him, they start to open their mouths and give advice. 
That was far from encouraging. They end up arguing with each other. And they're saying, okay, Job, we know you did something to deserve this. This doesn't just happen. What did you do? Fess up. Tell us. Tell us we're your friends. And how disappointed, how despondent he was. He needed their sympathy. He needed their understanding. He wanted his friends to have confidence in him. Because he knew, he knew that he was innocent. And here's what he says in chapter 19. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, I will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. He just wanted to continue to worship God. And he knew one day that he would see his creator, that he wasn't condemned, that this wasn't God's doing. He had that confidence. Nobody should suffer like Job. But during the worst moments of his life, he chose to honor and worship God. You know, the Bible says, weeping, may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. We need to wait. When we have our whys, we need to wait. Joy comes in the morning. You know, his friends and a lot of people, even Job himself, believed this. Now, tell me if you think this is true. Good things happen to good people, and bad things happen to bad people. What do you think? True or not true? All right. But they believed that. And because of that belief, they felt it was their job to have Job admit to the reason for his suffering. Job used to think that way too, that when bad things happen, it was punishment from God. But we asked that question though, why? Why? Why does God allow tragedies to happen? Why does he allow good things to happen to bad people? It it doesn't make sense. The law of cause and effect, we think of what goes up must come down for every action. There's an opposite and equal reaction, you know, but we see things that happen that people should have happened to them because of what they've done and they don't. And we see innocent people and things happen to them and we say, why? We wonder about the suffering. And and today in this country, we look at the slightest misfortune sometimes and we ask why. Oh, why didn't I get that pork and spot? You know? We think about that and we ask for patience sometimes and we get impatient asking when God doesn't respond the way he does. And we don't see the contradiction between that. We ask for patience, but we're not patient. You know, God is more concerned about our holiness than he is about our happiness. He didn't promise that Christians would not go through suffering. Can I hear an amen? So in spite of everything Job is going through, even though he doesn't curse the day he was born, he does ask why. 
and he argues with his friends. He vindicates himself. But now he turns to his questioning God and his motives. In several chapters, he's asking God questions. And when God finally speaks, he doesn't give him an an answer to why. He says, okay, now I want to ask you a, a few questions. And I want you to answer me like a man. In other words, he's like, buck up. I want to ask you a few questions. And I want to read some excerpts. When you get home, you could read this book from verse uh, chapter 38 to 42. These are some questions. Why do you confuse the issue? Oh, I didn't bring my glasses. Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together, Job. Up on your feet. Stand tall. I have some questions for you. And I want some straight answers. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me, since you know so much. So here he starts asking him, where were you when I created the earth? When I put the foundations of the earth in effect. Do you know the first thing about the constellations in the sky? Do you, can you see, get the attentions of the clouds and, and commission a shower? Or hail or lightning bolts? Can you do that, Job? And how about the animal kingdom? Can you teach the lion to stalk its prey and satisfy the appetite of her cubs? Can you do that? How about the mountain goats? Do you know when they give birth? Do you know how long it needs to uh, incubate before the doe and the bear bear their young? And the wild ox and the, and the donkey, and he goes on and on to talk, to talk. And finally, this is what Job answers God. He says, I'm speechless. In awe, words fail me. I should never have opened my mouth. I've talked too much, way too much. I'm ready to shut up and listen. But God's not done yet. He says, I have some more questions for you. And I want some straight answers. And then he goes on. He talks about Leviathan, which is a great sea creature. And, you know, the majesty of this. How can you tame it? Can you tame it, Job? And then he talks about Bohemoth, which is a great land animal. It looks like a a dinosaur. And and on and on, um, he, he challenges him. And he questions him. And finally, here's Job. He's dumbfounded. Here's what he says. I'm convinced you can do anything and everything. He says, no one can upset your plans. You asked, who is this muddying the water, ignorantly confusing the issue, second-guessing my purposes? I admit it. I was the one. I babbled about things far beyond me, and I made small talk about the wonders way over my head. You told me, listen and let me do the talking. Let me ask the questions. You give the answers. I admit it. I once lived, here's, listen to this. I once lived by rumors of you. But now I have it all firsthand from my own eyes and ears. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll never do that again. I promise. I'll never again live on the crumbs of heresy, the crumbs of rumors. In other words, he experienced God 
for himself. And through the questioning, God never answered the why, did he? Never. He didn't give him the reasons for his suffering. But Job had to admit that he was weak, that he was inferior, that he was unable to figure God's infinite mind with his little cerebral, finite mind, trying to figure out God's purposes. God's wisdom is so beyond our understanding. It's so beyond us. He is sovereign. He is in control completely. Even when things look like they're out of control, even when we want to ask those questions, why? It's better to know God than to know why. You know, Job, he was undone. Isaiah said the same thing. When he saw the Lord, he said, I'm done. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Peter, when he saw how Jesus stilled the storm, he did the same thing. He fell down and he worshiped and he said, I'm undone. Now, God continued to ask Job some questions, and this was a good one. He said, Job, if you know what's best for yourself rather than me, then you should take over being God. Don't we try to take over being God sometimes? You know, we think that we can figure out life's problems and trials and we can figure out the solution without inquiring of God. We think we know best, but we know God's ways are higher than our ways. They're greater than our ways. He sees the big picture. We don't know the behind the scenes, right? He does. You might say that Job had a new perspective. He recognized who he was, his pitiful state in comparison to Almighty God. And he repented. He said, forgive me. Even though he didn't, walk, he didn't know why, even though things didn't change at that point, it was a sorrow that brought worship through his suffering Let's look at this in verse, at chapter 42. After all these things, after Job was silent, his friends were silent, God was even silent. He turned to the friends. Remember the three friends? After the Lord said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Timonite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So God vindicated Job. He told his friends they have not. They were in error. And they were rebuked for misrepresenting God. So he prays for his friends. Think about that. He prayed for his friends. Even though they weren't there for him, he was there for them. And here's what he says. It says, verse 42, verse 10. After Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored all his fortunes and gave him twice 
as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. And the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former. He had 14,000 sheep instead of seven. He had 6,000 camels instead of three. He had a 1,000 yoke of oxen and a 1,000 of donkeys instead of 500 each. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. Again, the same amount, 10 kids. You know, he had a, we talk about the Holy Spirit and how we see the Holy Spirit throughout the entire Bible. And we see the Holy Spirit here guiding his faith through the tough times. In the end, God blessed him with more wealth than he ever had. So who are we to question God? I mean, our very breath is sustained by the Holy Spirit. And so we have a lot of lessons in this book. Remember, God didn't change anything except his heart. Job's heart was changed. It was humbled. That's all that changed. And being a Christian doesn't mean that we don't experience pain or suffering. Sometimes God allows it because he wants us to grow in our faith. Amen? Sometimes we suffer for a variety of reasons, only because we're here on this planet Earth. And we know that this is an Earth that was tainted with sin. And Jesus even told his followers, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, sometimes suffering shapes us for a special service. I think about Joni Erickson Tata. When she was 17 years old, she was hopeful for the Olympics, the swimming in the Olympics. She had a diving accident. She was in a, a, a boat with her friends, and she dove into shallow water, broke her neck. She was paralyzed. But she later became an author, a painter. She paints with her teeth. Google her. It's incredible. And more importantly, she has um, a ministry called Wheels for the World, where she provides uh, wheelchairs uh, to um, people all around the world that can't afford it and shares the gospel, she and her husband. Touched thousands of lives. She was suffering. And God used her suffering. Sometimes it's an attack by Satan. Sometimes it's a consequence because of what we've done. And sometimes we just will never know why, right? Are you willing to trust him even during those unanswered times? You know, like I said, suffering wasn't part of the original plan. Everything God created was good. Sin corrupted the world, and Adam disobeyed, and he brought corruption and sin in the world. And we make poor choices and decisions, and we're selfish. And being a Christian doesn't insulate us from the ugliness in the world. Romans 8. Did you pray this today? Romans 8.28 says, All things work together. For those that are in God and are called according to his purpose. 
all things. Can everybody say all things? That includes the suffering that we don't understand the reasons why. Just like a drought, it takes, like when a tree, there's no water and there's a drought. You could tell by the rings of a tree when they cut it down, when there's a drought, because their roots go deeper. And when we're suffering, our roots go deeper in the Lord. We, we go beyond a superficial relationship with him. We cling to him for hope and life. We depend on him more. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 4, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We don't know what's happening, but God is achieving something. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That should strengthen you. Now, the patience of Job is an inspiration. We've heard that, you know, people talk about his patience, his example. He endured through service and he continued to worship. And he realized it wasn't punishment. And we have a desire to link. Um, I see that happening to them. Just like his friends, right? Today, we do the same thing. Are they getting what they deserve? But that's not the way it is. Jesus had to set his own disciples right. Because here's what they said in John 9. As they went along, they saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, disciples, and sometimes we're innocent. I mean, we're guilty of projecting this onto people. We make the mistake of assuming that people suffer and they deserve it because it's God's punishment when sometimes it's God's higher purpose. And God didn't leave us here to suffer pointlessly. You know, innocent people suffer like Job. I mean, Joseph, think about it, in the hands of his own brother, his brothers, they sold him into slavery. And it took 12 years for him to obtain his position second to Pharaoh. There was a lot of suffering in between. It's a matter of perspective. If we just look at what's happening right now, sometimes we can't understand the background. We don't understand. It's like if I had a photo and I put it right here and I tried to make out what was in that picture. I think we have a picture. See if you could tell. What is that a picture of? Come on, let me hear you. What do you think it is? Hmm? Stained glass window, okay. A feather? You don't know. It's hard to tell, right? But the further away 
you go from that picture, the clearer the scenery is, the the buildings, uh, the people that might be in the photo, and in this case, the butterfly. See, a lot of times that's how events in our life are. As time passes, we get a clearer picture of the why. We understand the why better because we're too close to it, too close to the event. So there are three, it's a threefold purpose that we could learn from Job. First thing, God uses pain and suffering to draw us to himself so that we cling to him. Just like I mentioned the roots of a tree, we get deeper and deeper in him. One thing. Second thing, he proves to us that faith is real. And as we go through suffering, which is inevitable in this life, let me see a raise of hands. Anybody here ever suffer? It looks unanimous. I have this one person. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, wow, that's excellent. But you know what? It's inevitable. It's how we respond to the suffering. When, even when we know we're innocent, that our faith grows. That's the second point. He proves to us that our faith is real. Third thing, he uses suffering to take our eyes off the world, and on to the next. How many times did Jesus tell us, and the Bible exhorts us, don't get caught up in the, in the things of this world because it's temporary. You know, this is, um, you know, a, a transition that's going to happen for all eternity. This is just a little blink of an eye time. Don't get caught. He uses suffering to keep our eyes off the temporal and onto the eternal. We ask questions why? You know, in my neighborhood, less than a block away from my house, Wednesday of last week, there was a double homicide. It was horrible. I mean, I didn't know my neighbor personally, but I mean, I pass him, I see him all the time. His 45-year-old wife and their nine, almost 10-year-old daughter was murdered, axed to death by the brother-in-law, the man's brother. Horrible. Horrific. I mean, they had a Disney trip. Her birthday was Sunday. They had a Disney trip planned for her. And instead, we had a memorial service, and we let balloons go, and we sang happy birthday to Kelsey. Why? Why would God allow something like that to happen? God allows the winds to blow, the storms to rage, the tears to fall, the darkness, the difficulty. And we ask the question, why? But we don't know the secret script. We don't know the behind the scenes. But we do know that God does work things out for the good. To all of those, and I'm telling you, this service that we had in the streets, there were 200 people there. And pastor after pastor gave the word. And this little four-foot, six-woman, powerful woman of God got up and ended it with a prayer. 
What a powerful anointing. The whole crowd was stilled because through this tragedy, they heard the gospel. God used it. And I saw people of all ages and backgrounds and ethnicities there praising God. We were praising God together. Don't know how. When a seed falls to the ground and dies, it said it will bear much fruit. We don't know how much fruit will come from that tragedy, from that suffering. But we can trust God. When we can't trace his hand, why? We can trust his heart. We know he has a good heart. God could prevent suffering. Of course he could. But he works suffering together for his good, even suffering of the innocent. It's all part of his plan, his good purposes. His character is flawless, and we need to trust him. Along with wait, that question, you have to put the word trust. Along with why, you have to put the word trust. We have to trust him. And we can learn, finally, these four lessons from the book of Job. God is in control of all events. Not some events. Not just the good events. God is in control of, let me hear you say, all events. Secondly, we find hope as we trust with eyes of faith. When we believe that and we have confidence in God, we know, oh God, I don't know how you're going to work this out. But you are gonna. That's the eyes of faith. The third thing, God's ways are always, always beyond our ability to understand and comprehend. It's just too great. Don't waste your time trying to figure it out. God is in control. You're not God. And God alone is worthy of absolute trust. You know, Satan thought that he could get Job to deny God. And he thinks that true believers are only faithful as long as everything's going well, as long as they prosper, then, but you take that away and they're going to reject. He wanted to prove, Satan wanted to prove, and he wants to prove that salvation isn't permanent, that he could take back and snatch you out of God's hands. But Job proved that wrong. That is untrue. Man, you are in the hands of God. You're in his hands and no one can snatch you. He might cause suffering, but that suffering, that sorrow should lead you to worship. The greatest why in the Bible was this one. It puts all the other whys to shame. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It swallows everything up, all the other whys. See, he was willing to die. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to secure your salvation. On the night of his arrest, he said, God, if you could take this cup from me, but not my will, yours be done. He trusted the Father to accomplish his plan through the suffering he was about to endure. He surrendered to it. There was no other way for us to be saved. 
He answered the why. He did it for you. And he did it for me. We need to trust him. Always trust him. Resist the temptation to think that God has forgotten you. He has not forgotten you. I don't care what you've done. Have patience and wait on God to act. Now, I know in a room like this, there are a lot of people here who right now at this point, you're going through something. You're coming out of something, right? Or there's something you're rehearsing over and over in your mind, something that has happened to you, and you're suffering. But, you know, weeping endures for the time, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. So I want to play, I want them to play that song. Joy comes in the morning. And I want you, no matter what is happening, no matter what scene you can't see happening, you're going to trust God. Does everybody want to trust the Lord with your situation, with your suffering? Then come up out of your seats and let's worship together as we praise him. Even if it's a sorrow that worships, we'll trust him. Hallelujah. Come and do that. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room, Lord God. Lord, that you would overwhelm them with your presence. God, that as they go out those doors today, Lord God, that they will know with confidence that anything that goes their way, anything that comes their way, that you are behind it, that you are in front of it, that you are around them, that you are with them, that you will never, ever leave them, God, that you're working things out for their good, Lord God. You have a plan and a purpose for every single purpose person in this room. Thank you, Lord God. We magnify your name. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.